Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. This is episode 113 and I'm regular host Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks and I'm joined by usual partner in crime, the Brett to my Parker, the Blaine to my um, Mac. Adam Zeller aka Rooster, thank you. And, and, also, and uh, <laughs> returning for his third episode is a contributing writer and community member AJ, AK Voodoo Magic. So AJ's on. That means we're talking Predator. We have done a lot. Yes. Of pred- we've done a lot of Predator these last months. Actually, I think this is the most consecutive. Ooh, it's more Predator. More of a Predator year, and I have my suspicions that next year is going to be more of an Alien year. But this this seems like a Predator year. I'm so, loving it while it lasts. <laughs> yes, yes, but I suppose that's actually going to be something we talk about: is the frequency of the Predator stuff and whether this thing really matches up to how often we get things. So we are talking Predator stalking shadows which is the prequel novel to predator hunting grounds now we all we all really enjoy predator hunting grounds we've got our issues with some elements of it but in terms of the lore and the storytelling the story building we all we all really dug hunting grounds didn't we yeah yeah and i actually went into this one with some pretty high expectations actually because of a how much i liked the the lore that this was supposed to be building on but it's also written by some predator pedigree it's written by james a moore and mark morris and you may recall james a moore from this excellent book he did which was the prequel to the fourth predator film the predator hunters and hunted which aaron and i both really enjoyed which we thought was better than the movie itself that it was a prequel to definitely slight issues with it i think towards the end um but it was mainly fan nitpicks for me in terms of that one you know i didn't like how the rain wasn't affecting the predator's cloak in that one that was pretty much my main issue wasn't that repeated in this one? <laughs> yes, but this one, yeah. they, they actually justified it. When when I when I interviewed Jim about Hunters and Hunted, I was like, so what was up with that? It's like, yeah, in, in my mind, they got better with the cloak technology. And <laughs> yeah, they, they talked about it a little bit in this one, but the, the rain was still affecting... Yeah, they said it would spark. So I, I kind of, in my mind, I thought of it like, well, if it's a body of water, then it totally disrupts the cloak. And if it's rain, then it might flicker or something. And maybe in predator 2 since the sprinklers were coming down so hard then it deactivated it voodoo what did you think of hunters and hunted i can't remember your opinion on that one i actually did not read that book i was planning to and after my second viewing of the film i decided (laughs) to kind of step away from that yeah you know i think you guys have really um explored the books a lot more than i have and i'm planning to make up for lost ground and since you guys have been so high on that book I wanted to go there. I just thought it was going to be an extension of the Predator at the time. And there were so much things that frustrated me more and more that I just really stayed away from it. But unlike the Predator, with Predator stalking shadows, I was just extremely excited to get into any expansion of what Elphonic did. You know, anything that Elphonic did, I wanted to explore an extension of. So I was really excited to read this book. There's another uh, pedigree predator writer involved in this one in Stalking Shadows as well. And that is Mr. Mark Morris. Now, I always struggle with opinions on on this one because Mark co-wrote the novelization of The Predator. And I did not enjoy that book. Was it just because the story of the movie? You see, that's the thing. I'm not sure. I mean, The Predator was written by Christopher Golden and Mark Morris. Now, Chris has also written other alien stuff before as well. He wrote River of Pain. And Mark had never written, as far as I'm aware, Mark had never written anything alien or Predator before that. And I'm not sure whether it was just hating the film, fatigue of the film, or the actual book itself. I've not revisited it since. And really, I have no desire to revisit the book. So not really sure how fair of an opinion that is towards his involvement with this one. But unlike Hunters and Hunted, Stalking Shadows for me is in that category of the Predator novelization where I just don't really plan or have any desire to revisit this one. Twice was enough for me, once for my initial review and second time as prep for this episode. Because unlike Hunters and Hunters, I just did not really enjoy Stalking Shadows at all. It it didn't hold up to the expectations I had based on how much I enjoyed Jim's previous effort or how much I enjoyed the lore as it was presented in 
in hunting grounds i'm kind of glad that hunting grounds actually got the the one up in terms of getting dutch back into the the lore and the continuity through jake Busey's stuff rather than stalking shadows being his debut back into the series because it, it really didn't do it for me we'll get in, we'll get into it in more detail of course as throughout the episode but but basically for me it came down to spending two-thirds of the book ahead of the main character dutch barely being involved in the in the story and i just feel like hunters and hunters did the same thing but better basically what about you voodoo (sighs) well my general thoughts with the book was boredom i was not pleased like i said i was very excited to get the book anything tied to the good vibes of the euphonic game i was just thrilled to get my hands on it but a good way to describe it is predator stalking shadows is like a batman story that doesn't center around batman you know but by a (laughs) bystander and and dutch is the batman and if at least it was told through someone closer to dutch like the butler alfred where you get these neat behind the scenes nuggets because this person is in the thick of it every day and around the detective work and around the weapons but it's not that it's told by someone who often sees from afar and nothing more you know it's told by this guy named scott devlin or surrounds this character scott devlin who just often just crosses paths with Dutch. You know, where Dutch is coming, Devlin is going. On the back of this book here, okay, it says Dutch is back, okay, (laughs) in bold red letters. And technically, it's correct, right? But it feels like false advertising to me. It should actually say, meet Dutch's friend, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest with you, that feels like a squandered opportunity. Scott Devlin, the protagonist, is just not that interesting. He doesn't seem to have an interesting arc or a character arc at all, for that matter. And uh, when he finally interacts with the Predators, it just feels too little, too late. So I can best describe it just as a missed opportunity. That's my thoughts. Okay, Adam, what about you? It sounded like you kind of liked this a lot more than I, me and Yeah, I AJ think did. we're going to have... It's been a while since this has happened. I think I liked it more than, than you guys did. You know, one thing I think James Moore has a real strength for is showing camaraderie of these soldiers. And just like we saw that in The Predator, I thought that was really strong in how it was presented in Stalking Shadows. And I, I thought the format was very interesting in how... So Hunting Grounds takes place in 2025. The prologue to this is right after Predator 2 happens in LA 97. And our protagonist Scott's first mission is kind of centered around the the cleanup and investigation of that site. And it seemed like almost every chapter jumped ahead a few years, but at the same time, the story felt very consistent. So I thought that was an interesting format, how the time jumps were pretty big, at least one, two, three years for, for every chapter, but it still felt like this was one consistent story being told. And yeah, it wasn't Dutch's story. It was Scott's story. But I thought he was an interesting character personally. And I liked his relationships that he developed with his friends and and even Dutch, even though it was kind of a, a distance friendship. There were a few moments that I thought were genuinely intriguing, like when Dutch shows him about the existence of the Predators for the first time and gives him the choice in the folder, like this is going to change your life or you can go back to just doing what you were doing in this anti-terrorism unit. But if I show you what's inside this folder, you know, your life's going to change. Are you ready for it? So I thought the book had some really strong, really interesting moments like that. At the same time, it did have its issues. I feel like for a lot of people who have expectations with the video game, this is not going to to satisfy that because it, it just doesn't really go into, I think, the Stargazer stuff and the Dutch stuff as much as a lot of people are probably expecting. I think the last chapter before the epilogue takes place in 2013, and then the epilogue jumps ahead to like... Skips the Predator. 10 years yeah, to, to Hunting Grounds time, and it mentions the events of the Predator, but I would have liked a bit more exploration of that, because this is a whole big, I mean, maybe not because the Predator's terrible, but at least I feel like Hunting Grounds kind of retroactively makes me like the Predator in theory <laughs> when I don't actually watch the movie. So I was hoping this book would would do a little bit of that as well, and it, and it doesn't. But I really did like the sense of camaraderie, and the scenes with the Predators were pretty cool. I love how they were described when they were hunting 
and and even how it emulates some of the things that happen in the game, like when that was the nice. tables are turned on the scout and they're running after the scout, and it made me just think of how a match in the game will sometimes turn out. Like, uh-huh. and he describes it as the predators really don't like it when the fire teams are the ones hunting them and the tables have turned. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, like the whole scene where he comments on it's much lighter and faster. It was like, oh, they've come across a scout predator. So I really like those little connections that it had to the game. But yeah, I feel like they could have done more with it. Just like Hunters and Hunted, there was a lot of focus on internal government politics and stuff and just kind of the soldiering aspect. And you had some strong scenes with Predators. I really liked when they found the crash shuttle as well. And you had the team of like seasoned Predator hunters introducing these new members to like, oh, yeah, check out your first alien, guys. Here it is. So there were there were moments that I genuinely really liked about the book. But I do feel like for a lot of readers, it's just going to be too slow. And there's not going to be enough action there. And there's not going to be enough connections to the game. But I personally enjoyed it. I mean, it it wasn't like incredible. It's not like one of the best Alien or Predator novels I've read, but I liked it. Okay. I mean, there's some interesting points that we'll get into. Stuff I agree with you in from what you've said, which we'll talk about as as we get on them. So let's read the synopsis first, and then we'll just pick a starting point. So the action-packed prequel to Predator Hunting Grounds. In the aftermath of the events of Predator 2, US Marine Scott Devlin is assigned to the cleanup operation in Los Angeles. He is soon thrust into a world of secretive government agents, highly advanced technology, and an unstoppable juggernaut loan agent, Alan Dutch Schaefer. Dutch is back. Sort of. Sort of. (laughs) He's, He's in here occasionally. As Devlin rises through the ranks, working in elite counter-terrorist units, he gathers evidence slowly piecing together the shocking truth of what he saw that night. Fighting for freedom from the jungles of South America to the Scottish Highlands, Devlin learns who the real enemy is and how to fight for survival. He's not the only one fighting back against the Hunters. Dutch has been working in the shadows ever since his first encounter in Central America, gathering knowledge, weapons and teammates. Fighting both the Hunters and shadowy government agencies, Dutch and Devlin must team up to take the fight to the aliens to become the Predators. Sounds interesting. Certain things are. Now let's start with, I think, Adam, your point as to... We'll start with Scott. Now Voodoo, you said you didn't really find Scott interesting. Adam, you really like the relationships between Scott and his fellow Marines. Now, while for the most part, I, I agree with AJ in that, you know, it was a bit boring, mostly because Scott is so passively involved in what's going on and, and Predator stuff. I completely agree with you, Adam, in that I really liked it, their relationships. You know, I really liked the bonds between Scott and uh, Marcus and Flynn and... Fuck, I forgot. Lau. yes. And, and even Scott's sort of developing friendship with Dutch, I really enjoyed. For me, a lot of the not-so-predator-involved parts of the book, I was kept entertained purely on those character interactions. So I'm assuming you don't necessarily agree with that, AJ? Yeah, you know, he just seemed pretty vanilla. I mean, we got a little of his backstory, right? His poor mother died early and I think was cancer. Right. Mm-hmm. And he had to live with, I guess, was it his uncle? Yeah, and he was, was like dickhead uncle, dickhead uncle. I mean, he was abusive, but I think only verbally abusive. Right. But he really had a difficult time losing his mother, you know, so soon. And he wanted to live his best life for his mother. And they kept bringing his mother up in the beginning. But what, what was interesting with his mother is they, they sort of dropped it as the story went on. And, you know, you figure at the end of the story, somehow they would tie his mother and his feelings and his relationship with his mother to the end of the story and where he is now. But it's totally vacated. And he just seems very a shallow character to me. I too love the relationships. Actually, two of my favorite chapters is one when he's at uh, Marcus's wedding uh-huh. and then one when he's at Marcus's funeral. When the tables are turned and he's being consoled by Devon, I think is her name? Oh, Devon. His wife. Devon. Devon? Yeah. Okay. And those are some sweet chapters. And I agree. Those are really well written. And I could really feel the friendship between Scott and Marcus. Flynn, Lau, not so much. Flynn was very Hudson, I thought, in in what we got of him. Yeah. And they were kind of presented like the four musketeers, but I really didn't feel that. But I did feel the relationship between Marcus and Devlin. Uh I felt them. I got to learn them as friends, but I never really learned Devlin as an individual. I mean, he was curious and he was curious because his mother read to him a lot. And I never really got to know. Like, Like I said, I don't think there was a character arc. Maybe you guys can 
tell me what this character arc was. And maybe in this type of story, there isn't supposed to be one, but it, it felt lacking. Yeah. Because of I'm I'm with you there in that it didn't necessarily feel like he had a journey outside of just catching up with the reader. I, I feel like, you know, not every character arc needs to be a dramatic one. And I do feel like he grew as a character. I mean, it sets up in the beginning that he's a pretty inquisitive person based on his mother kind of being well-educated herself and teaching him to be as educated as possible. But he kind of had to wrestle that with being a soldier because like being a soldier, you just keep quiet and follow orders pretty much. And so he kept this little red notebook where he would write evidence of these weird things he kept saying, which are evidence of, of the predator happenings. Which was so risky, right? For a soldier to mm. do that. I mean, people have journals, you know. Yeah. I don't think he thought anyone was going to find it as as we later find that someone did. But him kind of wrestling with these questions and eventually, of course, making the, the easy choice for him to find out the answers to these questions when Dutch was offering it. I feel like there was a bit of a resolution there. Like, oh, he finally got his answers to questions he had had for years. And now he's he's going to take this on. And this is actually going to change his life and the life of his friends as well. So I feel like there was an, an arc there. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a dramatic arc, certainly. That that's a problem I have I had with it. It was it was just about him finding out what I already knew. And that bores me. I hate tie in books where I have to spend a portion of the book waiting for the characters to get caught up with what I know. And sometimes that's labelled as an excuse to catch up new readers to the universe. But I have to wonder how many bloody people pick up tie-in books without really being too knowledgeable about the series anyway. But for me, it's a waste of page space and story, especially when presented like this one. This is, again, why I think Hunters and Hunted did it better. When we got to Hunters and Hunted, that team knew what they were facing. You know, they'd already had uh, Roger Elliott uh, acting as their mentor. So when we got in there, we were at the same place as those guys and we took the journey together. And I think this one missed a treat in not doing it similar. If perhaps Devlin was sooner an actual dedicated member of, of Dutch's team of Havana, which reminds me, does anybody know what that reference is? His cigar. Okay. Where was that? Well, it, it wasn't anywhere, but I figured that's what it is because is it, he always a has a cigar, cig right? Yeah. Okay. C Cubans, Cuban cigars. Okay. I, I didn't know that. I, yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Is At that, least that's what I, I figure. I didn't see it anywhere. What It didn't describe that in the book, but that's just the connection my mind made. Oh, he's always smoking a cigar. And, and for those listening, that's what they call Dutch's uh, unit in the book. And they're referred to as Havana. But I agree with Aaron here. And what's frustrating... I don't mind. Actually, I enjoy the main character not knowing what we all know. You know, it's like in Predator 2. We already learned what the Predator was. But these detectives here, Mike Harrigan and his team, had to learn that this wasn't some sort of serial killer. This wasn't some result of some sort of drug war, you know, um, that there was this alien creature doing that. So I th I'm fine with that. It's just the way you do it and the speed that it's accomplished. And for some reason, it just took a too long how many times did he go out in a field it was like 200 pages before he got caught up bearing in mind the book's 330 you know it was nearly two-thirds right. of the book that we knew more than than scott did and i think that was a mistake oh god yeah there was too many instances of him coming into the aftermath like that thing in scotland weird setting for a start Weird setting for a, a, a terrorist thing, I thought, for a start. I don't know if that's based on fact, but that was one too many incidents, I think, with the way they were going. Yeah, it was just the, the pacing of it. And I think if he would have found out in the first third, it would have benefited the story and the experience for the reader tremendously. I think it would have been so much better. So I was sitting there getting frustrated that the story felt like it wasn't getting anywhere. Our character wasn't getting any smarter in regards to what was happening around. And it was just more suspicions and, you know, writing in his little red notebook until it disappeared one day. Agreed. I think he was starting to connect the dots with things, though, and that's why Dutch was kind of impressed with him, because he pretty much described what the things were without knowing what they were. But yeah, I, I, I get you. I feel like for a lot of readers, that, that'll be the case. And even for me, I feel like the book just could have been more exciting in general. At the same time, I don't think our characters always need to be caught up to speed. Like, big game, he didn't know what it was until the climax of the book, even. Right. Yeah, but that then didn't spend. I don't really like big game the novel, to be honest. Anyway, but 
with those things, they don't spend ages not really doing anything. The thing with this one is, yes, we get a nice chunky chapter with Dutch and, and Havana chasing down the scout, but otherwise it's it's them showing up to the end of something. How many times can they come across various corpses and still hold my interest? The answer was once. The second two times, I was like, Ugh. Come on. Yeah. There there were a lot of instances in this book of them just coming across the aftermath of something. I did like the whole bit with the volcanic jungle where they find the crashed spaceship and they enter it and they see these like predator dog little nests, I guess. And then the, the scene that played out after that was probably one of the more intense action scenes of the book, I thought. Well, just to wrap up in regards to Devin not finding out until too late, it just really felt like to me that it was a poor writing choice which was surprising because i've heard just wonderful things about james moore and you know and i get it sometimes this happens more often than not in a work for hire but there were other poor writing choices that also just got me frustrated there was one point where a few times james moore i assume it was james moore because i know mark morris contributed here but he took me out of the story there was this one time I swear, I can't remember the moment, but it was suspenseful. And it was a scary point for Devlin. And then where Moore actually said that Devlin couldn't actually process what he was seeing. And it only took years later for him to be able to process what he saw, that he can make sense of it. And I was like, years later, what? It like drained all the suspense of the moment. After he completed that sentence, it returned to present day. And I'm like, okay, now I know this situation, Scott Devlin is going to come out alive. And I was just confounded with why did you put that sentence in there? And now I know usually main characters usually make it through the end of the book, but you never know. I've been surprised before. And I just, there were some choices that I just didn't understand. I'm trying to remember specifically what that part was. Yeah, it wasn't something I picked up on, I must be honest. I don't know. It, it's I'll, I'll try to find it maybe when you guys are talking. It might be a bigger challenge. But the, I mean, there were other things. I mean, there was the usage of metaphors that uh, I was constantly struggling with. There was one time where it was during, I think, New Year's where Devlin stepped outside the mess hall. You know, and he left everyone, I think, to go get fresh air, look at the stars and stuff like that. And it's said in the book that he felt detached. And I get that. But when he left, he also used a metaphor and he said, like, Devlin felt like an ant leaving his colony. And I'm like, okay, fine. Nice metaphor. But then he hits with another metaphor and he says... He actually pulls out another one and says that Devlin also felt like a mutineer cast adrift away from his ship. And I'm like, the man just left the mess hall. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I actually stopped reading the book. I actually paused and said, did I just read that? Did I just read two of these metaphors used for leaving the mess hall? And I was like, it took me out of the book. In another case where it took me out of the book, and I just felt like some of this was just padding versus... Passion. Yeah. Padding that, that, passion. Interesting you bring that up. There's another point where it's like they were kept in the dark like mushrooms. And I'm like, why was that necessary? Like, so now that you mentioned that, I'm like, there were a few metaphors in there, huh? But yeah. And usually they're good when they're required, you know, but they were just used to a great degree that I felt like we're just trying to increase the page count. <laughs> so I kind of suspect it's Mark Morris's influence in this book that make me not like it. It's hard to really know with, with these co-written by things, but Mark is the guy that seems to be brought on when the original writers can't finish the book for whatever reason. So with The Predator, you know, we know those late stage third act rewrites completely changed a lot of the story. And it seems like Chris couldn't come back and redo the job. So Mark steps up to do it. And with this one, unfortunately, Jim is fighting cancer at the minute. And again, I I don't know, but I suspect maybe that meant that he wasn't quite up to coming back to do whatever rewrites or, or finishing this one off. And considering how much I dislike, you know, the Predator novelization and how much I dislike this one, that's the, you know, the connective tissue there is, is, is Morris being involved in them, especially considering how much I previously enjoyed Moore's work, not just on, on Hunters and Hunted, but on, on his alien work as well. You know, I really like Sea of Sorrows and his uh, anthology book. 
um, distressed, I think it was called, is short in, in Bug Hunt. So I'm kind of blaming Mark Morris for this one without really knowing. Here's here's a question for you. You didn't like, this is the second official, because we have the, the Russian ABP2 novel, right? But this is the second official one tied to a video game in the series. And we're getting the third, hopefully by the end of the year, for Cold Iron's game. Did you like this more than the Alien Isolation book? No. On, no? on, on the same par... But for different reasons, you know, Isolation didn't capture the experience of playing Alien Isolation. This one, like you mentioned earlier, I think there were moments in it where it did evoke Hunting Grounds, the game, the experience of actually playing a round of the game. And I liked it when this did it. It was just a bit of everything else. You know, the, the main character's story and journey was boring to me. I only really enjoyed Dutch's one encounter with, with the Scout. I didn't really... En- well, no, I enjoyed the last encounter with the Predator in this one as well. But I think mainly because of how many deaths in that, I wasn't quite expecting. But I know you, you were starting to talk about the, the Predator's Crash Shuttle in, in New Mexico. Is it New Mexico? No, that one was in the volcanic area, I think. That one... It was Mexico area, though, wasn't it? Because I'm pretty sure... That one was like the... I think it the... was drug lords compound no 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 wasn't it no it was it was the volcanic stuff in in mexico because i'm sure that is also the same location from a big game i'm gonna look it up i I think aaron's right oh you're you're i was thinking of when they they find the crash shuttle later yeah that's what you're thinking of i mean the crash oh okay and that's another thing i forgot about that drug lord bit that was another that so that makes what four times they came up on the aftermath and never really learned much Another operation in Mexico. Yeah, so there were two. Because there was the original one where they find the bodies and they find yeah. the hostages. Yeah. And then the next one where they go to like a volcanic area and they find the, the ship crashed. So you were starting to talk about that and how much you liked that. But I I hated that. The, the crashed bit itself was interesting. I enjoyed yeah. the crash bit. But when it got to actually mixing the characters up with the Predators, I found it so underwhelming because the dogs, I like that they tried to include the dogs, but they were pointless. You know, it was just a maul them, run out of them, maul them kind of thing rather than yeah. rather than perhaps trying to steer them in a the direction of a trap or flush prey, that kind of I thing. I guess I should specify. I liked where they find the ship and I feel like before they actually start their fight with the dogs and the predator, there's a lot of tension there. And even when they are fighting the dogs, but yeah, it's not it's not the best either. I think there's a point where they just follow the predator into a cave and they unload into the cave. Yeah, that was and they're so like, boring. I think we got it. And I'm like, really? You're going to end it like that? And even the dogs, too. Like, this reminded me of the Predator. They just throw a grenade to the dog and the dog eats it. And I'm like, those dogs love to eat the fucking grenades, don't mm-hmm. they? <laughs> just like that movie. It even had the fucking dreadlock, Not dreadlocks. Um, Mandibles. Mandibles. So and these, were obviously, these were obviously the same dogs from the Predator. Because it also specifies they had green blood. Because the ones from Predators had red blood. Yeah. So. And they also specified pods, and that also took me back to the Predator, you yeah. know? Yeah. In in my mind, though, when it came to the crash ship, I was sort of envisioning a cross between the original Predator shuttle that they then used a foot ton in Dark Horse comics and the Predator 2 ship, because I, there was a comment in there that I thought you would actually like, AJ, where they were talking about how it seemed like the ship had been grown, evoking the Predator 2 ship. I did. I was excited about that, and I thought they might go a little further, but that kind of ended abruptly, just like the conclusion of that battle with that Predator in that cave. Yeah, so anticlimactic. When mm. when that happened, I, I think I was ready to throw the book across the room at that point. <laughs> Damn. It was just a waste, man. It was a waste. The actual only real Predator battle I really enjoyed was the one with Dutch. Mm. And let me just start there. In, in, in context of the entire book, the Dutch chapter almost felt like an afterthought to me. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. It's out of place. It, it felt like the editor <laughs> realizing in a book we're advertising Dutch is back. That they hadn't featured too much Dutch. Quickly, we need more Dutch. <laughs> yeah, Throw a chapter in. <laughs> and we what's have that? So many years without him, we need him back. But yeah. And once that chapter was inserted, it begs the question: Why Dutch wasn't just a protagonist? You know, to begin with, versus versus Scott, because Dutch is the far more interesting character, and people have been waiting for this for thirty plus years. Uh huh. 
It's it's a strange one because it's supposed to be you wouldn't fucking know it from the book, but it's supposed to be the story of Zeus in the game. This is supposed to be how Who's the guy barking orders at you during the missions in in yeah. the game? Which that's fine by me. I don't mind the idea of expanding the you know, the the hunting grounds lore out more. And and Jared said, you know, when we talked to him for the interview, you know, he put all this stuff in there for other media to take an aspect of it and run. Why the fuck it made some of the decisions it did? Like, it completely skips over what is arguably the best part of, of all the, the logs and the recordings and stuff, and that's like the encounter with the, the female, the, the huntress, the, the predator royalty. It completely skips it of all the things to, you know, to choose. It skips that one. And then it wants to tell the story of, of Zeus. Not even fucking tell us. It does not say once in the book about his call sign or anything. So when I fin- finished it for the first time, I was like, well, is, is, is he supposed to be Zeus? And then, you know, Jared told had to tell us. It kind of insinuates it in the epilogue when it's he's in his because he's had an injury and he's in this command room, essentially, with with a, his staff and he's in contact with fire teams all over the globe. So it, it does kind of insinuate that if you've played the game. But yeah, it doesn't really make the connection. And I do feel there was definitely more room for another because you only get one chapter where it focuses really on Dutch and his team and they're not with any of the other teams and they're fighting the scout predator. And it's one of the strongest chapters in the oh, book, definitely. like you it's, said, AJ, it's the strongest chapter in the book i think if they would have just had another one of those with that female predator scene because dutch literally just meets scott at a bar and tells him like oh yeah this female predator fucked up our team like if you would have just included that chapter i feel like that would have helped quite a bit like you didn't have to make the whole book about dutch although that probably would have made it go over better with fans i think because they hadn't seen him for so long and that would have been the more obvious choice to focus on if you can use dutch again in the lore why not explore that but Uh maybe they didn't know yet at the time i don't know anyway i feel like there was just more room if you were already telling this story and you knew that sequence of events was happening with Dutch's encounter with the female predator, which sounds so interesting that it deserves more than just a bar conversation. You can still have that because it was it was an interesting retelling by Dutch of what happened. But just give us the chapter where we see what happens there. Just give us more predator in our predator book, I think is 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 my crux of it, I think. I mean, if if it wants to tell these peripheral stories involving Dutch, I think you can still do that while still retaining the Predator. If it didn't want him to be the focus, you can do things like... I, I thought an anthology would have been a much better way to do this, what this thing was trying to do, you know, to chart decades of Predator involvement and development of OWLF and Stargazer and stuff. If it wanted to keep Dutch on the outside, it could have done things like telling it from a newbie member of his squad. Could have been Garber setting it up. It could have been Sean. Maybe even uh, his his second in command, his name escapes me at the minute, but, you know, Dutch had a a close relationship with his second in command. I think it was Angus. Angus, yes, that's right. It it could have kept Dutch on the outside while still keeping him involved by doing it on, on the peripheral. Or it might have been more interesting to have the entire thing be Devlin's diary. You know, it could have been that black, uh, that red notebook is a, is a more interesting way of, of formatting what it was trying to do. Because as it was, it just, it didn't work for me. It was just skipping years, which is interesting in theory. But again, it was so many years of, of it feeling like nothing was happening. And, and Dutch, the selling point, was not involved. I feel like they missed the mark with it and they could have done something interesting with a different format of book. You know, you bring up this great scene, and I agree with both of you. This This female predator encounter needed to be a chapter in this book but instead what is dutch right he's special ops he's he's like a fucking green beret and i think it's ellison ellison hires three hillbillies and a homeless man to to assassinate this like marine this special ops this you know dutch he's the ultimate warrior to do an assassination attempt this is what we get instead at a bar i mean i'm reading i'm thinking this is the best they could do no ellison he's got to believe this the uh the percentage of success in an attempt 
like that has got to be few and far between. And then they could hit him up for uh, intel. I mean, Dutch could even take the homeless guy with him and, and put him in a, like a photo lineup with the uh, Stargazer guys and, you know, and pick out who paid him off. It, it was such a ridiculous story that I was, again, taken out of it. I'm like, this is the choice we made. I mean, does this even make sense? Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there as well. I mean, Ellison was not a very effective antagonist in this one. I mean, even even the whole setup towards the Stargazer thing was weird as well, because it talked about, what did they call them, Men in Black. It talked yeah. about Men in Black early. And, and to start with, I thought they were supposed to be OWLF. Me yeah, too. Me too. Yeah, I was confused about that. And then it suddenly turns out that they're perhaps Stargazer. But then Stargazer isn't even name dropped to the end, to the point where it also made me think that Men in Black was completely separate to Stargazer. Yeah. Because it talk I think in the epilogue it talks about Stargazer being a new thing that showed up two years prior to They only make vague references to it, like it's this rival part of the government that's more ruthless with private funding. Which actually fits in with the story that they were telling in in the tapes and stuff about Stargazer being this regressive privatized equivalent to to OWLF, but it doesn't marry up. Yeah, I I do wish there were more, I guess, revelations about the behind the scenes stuff with Stargazer and OWLF. And even further than that, I kind of wish there were more connections to Moore's other book, Hunters and Hunted. Like if you had hinted at some stuff that happened in that book, because both of these books reference the last film. So I feel like if you could have made a couple of loose connections there, it would have been a little more engaging, I think. But yeah, now now that you guys are bringing up some some of the stuff, it does drag it down for me a little. I, st- I still enjoy the book but it did have issues and i i don't think it lived up to its its full potential i do want to touch on touch upon that dutch scene the best chapter um i I thought of you aaron when i was reading it because at first it turned out to be a a scout predator but at first it said it was a fast predator and it was so fast it was possibly cybernetically enhanced and then they even suggested it might not even be a predator and i was like immediately i went river ghost you know (laughs) (laughs) And if this turns out to be a river ghost, how excited is Aaron going to be, you know? And it didn't turn out to be the case, but um, it was still great. And I actually enjoyed from that chapter also the aspect of that reflective paint, you know, instead of regular camo paint. Mm. It was something to affect. It blocks heat, right? It blocks some of the thermal viewing of the Predator. So I thought that was rather a nice feature. That that was certainly a really interesting chapter because it, it went into so much of like their efforts and tactics to to combat them. You know, things like Dutch, you know, getting in that tree and just stillness. I mean, echoing back to, you know, that, that moment in, in Predator, you know, when he's clamped down and... And, and the Predator's climbing down the tree. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of repeats, yeah. But not in an obnoxious way. And it's him deliberately doing that because Angus is there serving as bait, but trying to not be obvious that he's there as bait and and stuff like that. Again, it's the same as all the other encounters, though. It's cut very short. You know, when a predator shows up, it does not survive its encounter. But at least, you know, the scout and the one at the very end, you know, they made it costly, which was nice. And and to be fair, you know, they the book did a lot of things in terms of the predators that I actually kind of liked. But again, it's all from the peripheral. So things like, you know, AJ mentioned, you know, the idea that perhaps it, the scout's increased speed was because of bionics and stuff like that. But each of the encounters that they don't actually find a predator on... It implies individuality in terms of the tactics and yeah. and stuff of the predators they're encountering. So, you know, some guys took some heads and skins and stuff, and then it's implied in the drug lord section, you know, that the predators freed all the hostages. Yeah, I thought that part was interesting. So I, I actually really liked the idea that, you know, they were presenting all the individuality of, of the predators' personalities, of their hunting styles, of stuff like that. I mean, the, 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 the last encounter, you know, was, was a duo, which hadn't happened before in terms of their encounters in the book. I mean, we've seen it in some of the lore, but not in terms of the book. So just to have so many different aspects and, and highlights is something I like. I like it when, when the stories and stuff do show that they don't all operate under the same rules. You know, they do have different personalities, which was something the films tried to do. I mean, Predator 2 deliberately, the idea was that City Hunter was a younger, reckless predator compared to the Jungle Hunter. So I always really like it, and I especially liked it with this. But again, 
that also presents a problem in itself and the predator itself isn't the overarching thing of the you know the book there isn't one consistent predator antagonist in this again it's it's the boring journey of, of devlin catching up with with me and dutch i suppose to an extent but yeah there, there were little bits in this that i did like what did what did you think about the um the individualization as hinted as it was there really wasn't enough of it for me to actually even notice i mean i would have loved to see more of that more aspects of that more different hunting techniques but it just felt as everything it just felt very lacking in that regard and that's fair i wanted to see a multitude of weapons and new weapons you know but i feel like what stands out for me is always devlin looking over there at this muscled Austrian, you know, and the Austrian <laughs> passes by Devlin and they have some words and that's the most memorable stuff for me here. And that's what's frustrating. I really wish that, you know, I had mentioned Alfred. How great would a story have been if we had someone working on Dutch's team that was responsible for the reflective camo paint, was responsible in uh, reverse engineering. I think Dutch used some sort of yes. beer. Uh, no, he, he actually had an arm-mounted yeah, um, like like the Fletcher or the Rocket or whatever Cinti Hunter uses, okay. and which, which was a cool moment. But again, the things that I pull out of this are moments. Right, they're they're tiny little morsels that are not enough for a meal. Yeah, you know they they leave you still starving, and you wonder what what did I just spend my time reading? You know. Um, <laughs> And I don't mean to be very harsh because I, I just want to caveat that both the James A. Moore and Mark Morris are very good writers. But with anything, there's there's hits and misses, and sometimes there's a miss, and I'm feeling like it's a big one. Okay, so it, yes, it was a miss opportunity. I feel like the things, like you say, AJ, on the back of the book that people are going to be expecting and craving are not satisfied for sure. But for what was there, I did find it engaging enough. For me, it was a it was above average book, but I do feel like it, it was also squandered potential, unfortunately. And the thing that depresses me more about it as well is that we get so few Predator novels and comics and and just expanded universe entries overall. So that when I get this, and I think that Jim's previous book did a better job of doing the same thing, and the game's hour or two hours worth of snippets of audio do a better job of entertaining me along the same lines... (sighs) I just wish they hadn't have wasted one of those so few slots on something that had been done better elsewhere. If if I could just mention real quick the the prologue, I really enjoyed that prologue. You know, I I mean, if you're going to do filler, I love that you're inserting yeah. a film. I mean, a scene within Prayer Two. You know, where Dutch and I guess Dutch um, jumps into uh, Garber's helicopter. You know. Yeah. So this retroactively puts Dutch in Predator 2. You just never see him because he's riding in the helicopter that lands when Garber confronts Harrigan at the end. And I thought Garber was really entertaining in that small section. I mean, you already knew a little bit about Garber from the movies and his interaction with Dutch. It felt full. It felt robust. And his like, oh, my God, this is a total clusterfuck. You know, I am just I'm just in for it now. And it was really a great start off. You know, when this started off, I was like, oh, I'm really going to enjoy this book. And then even when they brought in, I really enjoyed Sean Keyes. I enjoyed Jake yeah. Busey's character from The Predator. He wasn't in and the book for much, but he he wasn't in the book for much. But when he was, you know, you got to see how choked up he was, how emotional he was. I really like that, you know, the, the, just the depth of his emotions then at that point. And yeah, I, I feel like the things that are interesting are so brief and the things that are a little boring are so drawn out. Unfortunately, I, I was reading on Xenopedia. Actually, there are a few goofs regarding the Predator 2 prologue. So again, this is courtesy of Xenopedia. It says when Garber and Dutch arrive at the site of the Predator ship in L.A., they see Harrigan rising from the ashes after the ship blasts off. However, in Predator 2, this happened deep underground sometime before Garber and his men arrived. Also, when policing the Los Angeles launch site, Scott and his men are issued with ammunition specifically designed to blast holes big enough to toss a basketball through. Aside from the fact that 
that there is no apparent reason to equip soldiers with such devastating power, predators still being a closely guarded secret at this point, and the operation involving nothing more than guarding against civil unrest. This ammunition is never mentioned again, even when Scott is specifically being sent out to engage predators, at which point it would doubtless have proven incredibly helpful. Also, the ship that leaves LA is said to have burst up from the ground in the middle of a densely populated neighborhood, leaving behind a cavernous crater and demolishing several residential buildings in the process. In Predator 2, the ship actually emerges from a tunnel in a seemingly abandoned area, causing comparatively little damage to the surrounding area. There are also numerous bodies in the crater, something that is never shown to be the case in Predator 2. Keyes introduces himself as the regional director of the OWLF during the LA incident. Assuming the character's age is comparable to Jake Busey, who plays him in The Predator, Keyes would have been in his mid-20s in 97. This seems inconceivably young for a regional director in a secret government intelligence organization. I don't know about that one, because, you know, nepotism is a thing, so I wouldn't surprise Uh, Yeah, true that. Mm Mm-hmm. I was confused about the LA bit when they talk about the crater and the the bodies and the ship causing a lot of damage in the area, like a bomb had gone off. I was like, it just flew out of the tunnel. Yeah, it seemed they seemed to think it was under um, the old lady's apartment, I think, which, yes, they did sort of get access to it. Well, I suppose it was directly under the old lady's apartment, wasn't it? Yeah. But you, you assumed it flew out of a subway. I think in the script, there was like a, a big drainage basin, sort of, uh, I don't know, something, it exists in California. Yeah, I forget, forget exactly. The LA, the LA River, right? Maybe, but yeah. But no, you know what? I guess I, I, that wouldn't I, be that. But I just took it as creative license. I mean, I didn't mind that there were bodies around, but there weren't bodies in the movie, and I was okay. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't myself. I've been, I've been guilty of nitpicking before, but I was actually okay with that. But you're right; it was depicted a little strange enough that I wasn't sure at first that was actually the crash site when I was reading it. But then I figured it out. But you were, we're speaking of energy weapons. Maybe you guys can explain to me because I missed it. Back with the Predator, it seemed like he had an energy weapon that was like almost like a mini bomb, right? It, it almost was described with this energy bolt like a plasma caster, but this thing erupted into a giant explosion. The, the, the one in the last chapter, the last thing yeah. I, th- I thought it happened twice. But yeah, and do you guys, I mean, it actually almost sounded like it was a plasma caster, but a lot more deadly. It didn't really elaborate because that part focused really heavily on Scott, who had just been injured, and he was kind of out of it for a lot of that scene, which, again, I feel might have not been the best way of going about your climax in the story. Because he was just like slipping in and out of consciousness during that whole scene while there was this battle raging around him. And yeah, they talk about that. They're like a, a light came from somewhere and there was this massive explosion. But yeah, I didn't really go into that. And, and predators aren't dumb, right? I mean, what do you guys think about just dangling one of the fire team members <laughs> walking around? When it first happened, I thought, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, while while he was there, obviously there, and it's like, yeah, don't fucking shoot at me here. But then, yes, when he starts walking across the fucking middle of the battleground holding the dude up, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ugh, come on. And then, of I, course, I, he gets shot in the legs. Yeah. I did actually really like Marcus and Lau's death at that point, though, because I, I hadn't really been expecting either of them. You know, Marcus gets the top of his head sheared off by a shuriken or a disc, and um, Lau, Lau gets exploded by a net. Yeah, that fully contracts quickly. It fully contracts quickly, which I'm not sure how well that would have worked. But again... By that point, you know, I, I was really into their relationships and their friendships and stuff. And I was like, oh, damn. be honest with you, I saw someone's death coming. I didn't know if it was going to be Devlin or Marcus. Because I, I also envisioned this idea where Marcus was just going to take over for Devlin. I couldn't figure it out, but I saw the writing on the wall. I don't know if you guys did. Or I guess, Aaron, you were surprised, but maybe Adam. Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect Marcus to die so quickly how he did. So that part was like, whoa, I'm sorry, Marcus, because he was actually like a, a good character in the book, I thought, too. But yeah, I, I do just feel like that battle scene was a bit too focused on Scott slipping in and out of consciousness. And while this battle raged around him, I'm like, show me the fucking battle. Like, you're having this climax of the book, so... And, and it, again, in talking of missed opportunities, you know, it was a shame not showing the Predators actually teaming up. You know, one's just there, gets blown up, and then another one's just there, gets blown up. Yeah. 
But I do think the predators weren't handled well, other than the scout. But again, that still went down. I, I did. I did like some of the descriptions of of the aftermath sites, and and the short description we got of the female predator by Dutch was was pretty cool. But especially like the drug lord's compound in close to the border, that part was interesting. How it it freed the hostages, and and they kind of saw the ship coming in from overhead. But yeah, it really left the predators pretty mysterious in the book. It it didn't really go into them too much at all, even when they were seeing them and and seeing the spaceship and everything. I don't know. I felt like more attention was put on that snake that almost bit Marcus than <laughs> the predator <laughs> yes, itself. In the agave yes. plant. Yeah. yeah, there was so much suspense and so much written into that and build up. And the predator didn't get that. But the snake sure yeah. did. I, I did like Scott's kind of internal dialogue when he f- sees his first predator body in the crash ship. And it's like his existence is kind of rocked a little bit by the sight of that. So again, this book had its moments. I just feel like the strongest parts of the book were the shortest parts of the book. Even the scene where with the dogs, Dutch's teammates were great. Like they they seem like really cool characters, I thought, based on what little dialogue they had. And I like the dynamic of this new inexperienced team having just been giving this information, doing a mission with a more seasoned team, knowing that these are perfectly capable soldiers, but they haven't faced this threat before. And then to have all those characters that were just introduced as Dutch team just die and be mentioned in a past bar conversation i was like well show me that scene show me what ended up with those characters you set up i would have much rather it have been entirely focused on dutch team i would have rather scott have been a member of dutch's learning along with him and we would have got the best of both worlds then exactly original character and the return of dutch yeah I still like Scott. I just feel like it could have been more balanced between his team and Dutch team. You could have kept going back and forth from chapter to chapter. It could have been Scott's team. This is what's going on. And Dutch team, this is what's going on. So, And I don't, the ending, to me, just felt out of place. It just didn't feel earned. Maybe if they were trying to play more, that he never felt he was going to be happy in life, that Devlin was never going to be married in life. I know he mentioned, I think, once that he he, he hoped to have what Marcus had at some point. But it, it was really a chapter that just wasn't earned when he finishes that life is good, right? Very yeah. good. It was Something just so it was just that. so brief too. Like the epilogue was just a couple pages and it's ten years later and it's pretty much just him in an office and he's like, Oh, I have a family now, the end. That's and instead this is a microcosm of what's wrong. Instead of me getting a page of Devlin's wife, we get the wife's best friend that's you know talking about getting a, a anniversary gift, you know, who, for who's Devlin's Scott's wife. Secretary, by all accounts. Yeah. I mean, that is a microcosm of what's going on in this story that I would have been more interested in meeting Devlin's wife and having a conversation between between them versus joking with the secretary. All these choices are just extremely odd to me. Can I also take a moment to nitpick Scott's promotions throughout this book? Now, he goes from what? Private to sergeant to captain. Non-com to commission. And that's just not something that happens very often. I I ended up having to ask about it in in our Facebook group because that really pulled me out of of the story. That's fucking Starship Troopers level satire of of (laughs) military. I mean, I think... People pointed out one bloke from World War Two, Audie Murphy, who did that exact chain of promotions. But this was exceptional, exceptional circumstances and commendations throughout World War Two. That is just not how people tend to progress, skipping grades like that and entire sort of different well, branches. Well, did skip a lot of, of years in the chapters. No, but it, it's the ranks. He skipped entire grades. He went straight from private to a sergeant, you know, missed all the grades of private, uh, the the corporals, the lance corporals, and then he goes from non-commissioned officer to an an officer, you know, skipping again his his, his, his lieutenant, his first and second lieutenant, and going to captain. I was just like, I'm not massively knowledgeable on on real-world military, but I have a a passable, casual knowledge based on how much I enjoy gun porn and military stuff like that anyway, to the point where I was like, this is fucking Johnny Rico in in the Starship Troopers (laughs) film, and that film takes the piss out of the military and grandizing um, that kind of genre. This is piss take level stuff pulling me out. I mean, it is a nitpick and I can't, I don't know how many people are going to be pissed off at that. But for me, I was like, no, thank you. It's a fair argument. I mean, maybe I'm just pulling it, grasping at straws here. Maybe OWLF doesn't have all those ranks because if you remember in the beginning of the book, 
Well, he's military. He's, he's entirely military. Yeah, I know. Though. But he, he left the Marines. He said, and his new uniform is right in the beginning of the book. And when he was heading to the crash site, he left the Marines and he was given just a black tactical suit that just had his his name. And I, I guess maybe his rank insignia. I don't know. It, it, I'm not saying it makes any sense, but he, he was no longer a Marine. He was in this special faction, this special ops faction. And- he then he then goes back into conventional military, though, because of all the counterterrorism. I say conventional. I'm sure that's still black ops. Yeah, but but within the context, uh, the the conventional military structure, I think that's is fair. more the point at that point. But yeah, it, it's completely anal nitpicking. I'm sure very few care about it, but it it pulled me out each time it happened. That's fair. I thought this was going to be a short one because I don't really have anything else left to say about it. I mean, there's not much, reviews, not much substance I, on it. Yeah, I feel like just having it be connected to the game, like having the game's artwork on the cover, it should have tied into that a bit more and the events directly preceding the game. Well, that's something else as well. Sorry, just to interrupt, just to throw in another dig there. Some of Titan's best cover art, you know, because it's a game screen. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. But um, no, I just feel like it still could have gone through all those years, but it could have done it in a more balanced way and focused on the time a bit more directly leading up to the game, like setting up the game's world that we've been enjoying when we get on and play together. I would have liked to have seen more of that. Yeah, maybe, maybe more building into, you know, the actual world building of that point. You know, things like Stargazer deliberately setting up these hot zones to try and draw the Predator in so they can steal its own technology. Right. Things like when the fire team takes them down and they're like, fuck no, no, you're not having an intact corpse there. We're going to fuck that shit up for you. It would have been interesting to see that kind of time. It did kind of go into that a little bit, how they could never, like, recover a fully pristine body in the book yeah i I suppose but but not to the level of connecting it to your experience playing the game right if you're if you're a hardcore predator fan i think it's passable i think i just kind of enjoyed it because i i liked the characters and it was so good to see dutch again after so long but you're right we just didn't get enough of him and it wasn't satisfying enough and i i finished the book more recently than you guys so i feel like kind of you're bringing up some points i haven't had the full time to to digest it and kind of stew on it so i was like oh yeah that was pretty good predator book but it's just like some of the movies sometimes you start to think about it a bit and you're like oh yeah that kind of didn't work or that kind of could have been done better so i still think i probably enjoyed it more than you guys but i can i can really see where you're coming from i feel like it is kind of squandered potential unfortunately and i feel like if you're just into the game like if you're kind of a casual predator fan who likes playing the game and you're like oh i'll check out that book you're not going to be satisfied it's kind of like even us hardcore predator fans we were left kind of unsatisfied so i i do think it's passable i do think it's worth a, worth a read but uh unfortunately yeah d- disappointing still passable in my opinion so you're gonna give it a score oh you want me to rate it first i was gonna go for a seven but i think you guys bringing up some points have brought it down for me and now that i actually think about it probably about a six for me still more generous than i think i'd go aj you uh you go next okay so it's not as fresh as for me, um, Adam. <laughs> we we, uh, <laughs> we paused recording this podcast so he could finish the book, but uh, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in there. In a general sense, this book, Predator Stalking Shadows, really felt like a work for hire. I know they all generally are, but they all don't feel this way. This one feels like, to me... It was not spawned by a desire to tell a story, but rather earn a paycheck. And maybe it felt this way because we learned James Moore was simultaneously dealing with an illness. An illness that can put you on your knees, not just physically, but mentally. And that is rough. It's terrible, if that's the case. But we still have to critique the work. And to me, it didn't feel organic. It lacked direction. It lacked passion. It just didn't feel like the author's heart was into it. I just can't recommend it. It's well written, and it has its moments. The prologue is fun, where it inserts scenes in the Predator 2 film timeline. Reading bits about Keys and Dutch are fun, but they just feel like bits. Tasty morsels that are just few and far between in a book that's trumpeting Dutch's back. 
it just leaves you starving when you're done with the story. So Predator Stalking Shadows gets, and I hate to be this rough, but it gets a four from me. And that's not saying much when it gets two points for just having Predator content. So this one is a miss. And I say instead, go listen to the OWLF recordings featuring Sean Keys and those Dutch tapes from Predator Hunting Grounds, the video game. They're all on YouTube. You listen to those, you'll come away with a much more satisfying feeling than this. And it's a better use of your time. So four out of ten. Okay. I have already written a review for the website, so if you've already read that, you already know where I'm going here, because my opinion hasn't really changed. I I finished reading the book for a second time this morning. I've been reading it again over this last week, uh, leading up to, to this episode as prep. At times, I did feel perhaps I was a bit too harsh in my review, purely because of how much I was enjoying the character relationships, but at the end of the day, I still find myself with that same it wasn't frustration at waiting for scott to catch up with me like it was the first time but it was boredom at waiting for scott to catch up with me this time and i i feel like it was just a waste of a slot of of predator books you know jim has told has done a similar story and he's done it better before and and like aj said you know the recordings and duchess tapes do a better job of playing with the law so i'm still going for a five i'm still going for a five out of ten and it was saved purely by how much I actually enjoyed the relationship of the characters together. I just normally I always recommend reading these books to form your own opinions, reading the comics to form your own opinions. But there are certain ones that I just say fucking miss, and this unfortunately is one of them. You know, it, it's Titan hasn't had good luck with these video game books because, like Isolation, skip that fucker, skip this one as well. I just I can't recommend this one at all. If you if you want to see James doing awesome Predator, go read Hunters, Hunters and Hunted. And, Hunted. And, yeah. and if you want Hunting Grounds lore, go listen to Jake Busey and Arnie do it. Much more satisfying. So four, five, and and six. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get something good with the Cold Iron prequel. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. There was a rumor we were going to get if it bleeds two for a little while, which would have been nice. I would. Yeah, I, would still I, like I really would have liked to to see that from Brian Thomas Schmidt mm-hmm. because that I, that book was brilliant. I, I think I know yeah. I know you AJ had a problem with some of the stories in in it, but for me that was a ten out of ten book. I enjoyed every single short in that thing. This would have been better as an anthology. Yeah, I feel the first if it bleeds was really strong, and I would love to see uh, another one. Titan, please. Another one. Come on. And an alien still needs a good anthology. Bug Hunt was too it and miss. Titan's been doing so good lately that it makes these ones sting even a little bit more just because of, in general, how much I enjoy them. But, okay. Sorry this has been kind of a more negative podcast, guys. Mm. But they do happen from time to time. You know, we, we can't enjoy we love the franchise. But we're going to be honest if, yeah, something doesn't exactly stick with us, you know. Yeah. But if you, if you want to follow us, you can go to our website, which is avpgalaxy.net. And we have news there as well as discussion boards. We're also on all the major social channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, and you're pretty sure to find us. And AJ, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter on my handle, FN Voodoo Magic. FN as in FN. And I can be found on Twitter as at underscore Corporal Hicks. If you'd like to follow me personally, I am on Twitter and Instagram as at RidgeTop21. And I can promise people that the next couple of episodes are actually going to be pretty positive and and energy-filled in in the positivity because we're going to be reviewing the Alien RPG, which Adam and I very much enjoy. And I know I... Which is fucking awesome. Yeah, we... That will be a positive one. And we should also be interviewing the law writer of the RPG as well. And and, and as well, a special Predators-related interview that's cropped up completely out the blue. Not sure where it's going to slot in in the release schedule, but from what I've been talking about with him already, that is going to be really fun. And I think there's going to be lots of unknown behind-the-scenes stories of, of the development of Predators coming up in that one. So I'm really looking forward to that. Anyway... Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening. This has been Corporal Hicks. Bridge top. And voodoo magic. Get into the chopper. <laughs>